Good morning, Calvary Bible Church. Those of you who are here and those of you who are at Classic Calvary, we welcome you this morning. And uh, we're in week two of our Christmas series of Advent, celebrating the Lord's coming into the world and the difference that makes. Last week we celebrated hope, today joy, next week love, and then peace, all of the realities that Christ's Advent bring to reality in our lives as we trust in Him. When you came in this morning, you received this on your way in. The candy cane is not for you. Don't eat it during church. This is for your friend who needs to know about our Christmas Eve services, which will happen on December 24th at 3 and 5 and 7. This year, we're going to be joined by another church in town who were shut out of their rented facility for Christmas Eve. So the well is going to join us across our three services. It's going to be a great night together of two churches in the city of Boulder worshiping Christ, the newborn king. This is for you to invite someone that is in your world that needs to be hearing about the hope and joy and love and peace of Jesus Christ. I hope you'll take that seriously and find someone on your sphere of influence who needs to come to church. This morning we want to talk about joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. Joy to the world. Now joy is um, a beautiful idea. And the Christmas movies that have been made help capture the joy of Christmas with some famous characters that just ooze joy. Here are three of them. (laughs) They remind me of some Christians I've known. These characters create a dilemma around many of the Christmas movies that many people don't experience joy. And yet we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Yesterday I was with about 50 members of Calvary at CU's musical concert, a Christmas concert. And I stood in Mackey Auditorium with 2,000 people and a huge orchestra and choir. And I stood there in Mackey singing with the congregation of attenders joy to the world. And I was thinking to myself, I am standing in a bolder public place saying, let earth receive her king. And it was a glorious, I was filled with joy. I'm not sure everybody in the room was, but Christmas has a sense of joy and life collides with that, doesn't it? Not everybody senses joy at Christmas, or in all of life. I get to read the prayer requests that come in each Sunday morning. Members who write, this is my situation, and I need you to pray for me. As I read through them last week, my heart was so heavy with the burdens that many of our members carry of broken families and health concerns and legal conflicts, and family members who are giving up and want to cash it in, people who don't want to be alone anymore. And in one, 
I need prayer for the difficulty of this upcoming holiday season. And I get it. I get it. When I was with my mother last month, um, with my brothers after my mom had died, I, I was mingled with sorrow and relief. Joy that my mom was with Jesus and a sadness over that part of my life changing. So I get it. And that is why today I, I want to talk to you about four things. What joy is not, what joy is, where it's grounded, and how it's practiced. How it's practiced. First, what joy is not. People mistake what joy is for humor. Humor. I love humor. I like to laugh. Um, I heard a pastor say, I never tell a joke in the pulpit. I've failed if that's the bar. Uh, I like humor. Chuck Swindoll's one of my heroes, and I like to hear him laugh when he preaches because laughter is good medicine, but laughter is not joy. Happiness is not joy. Happiness comes from a Danish derivation of the word hap, and it just means good chance, good luck, hap, what's happening. We have the words mishap, haphazard, and, and the like, perhaps, like this, it's not certain because it's tied to circumstances, what is happening. And sometimes when what's happening is really beautiful, you're happy because your happenings are good. But if your happenings are not happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> Joy is not happiness tied to happenings. So it's not humor, it's not happenings. And if you need another H, it's not high. It's not being high. It's not being euphorically altered in your mind or emotions or anything about your chemistry because of um, some ecstatic experience. There are pleasures in those things. The Bible acknowledges there is a season for the pleasures, as the Bible describes, of sin. But that's not joy either. Lasting joy must be seeded and rooted in something that is more enduring than what's currently happening or what you've currently consumed or what joke you just heard. Joy is rooted in something transcendent and large that makes sense of all of the complexities that we just talked about that sometimes I feel great and sometimes I don't feel great, but joy still exists there. Um, a man by the name of Creeth Davis wrote an article in the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, which was edited by Walter Elwell, and this is what he wrote about joy. From a psychological perspective, one cannot experience joy while being preoccupied with one's own security, pleasure, or self-interest. Freedom from inhibitions comes when one is caught up in something great enough to give meaning and purpose to all of life and to every relationship. God alone is the only adequate center for human existence. Let me say that again. 
God alone is the only adequate center for human existence, and he alone can enable us to experience life with joyous spontaneity and relate to others with love. Joy needs to be rooted in something that is big enough to make sense of what happenings are not pleasant and what incongruities of life in between the two advents of Jesus. We need a big picture of joy, and we need the center of our joy to be God. So secondly, then, what is joy? Joy is an inner quality of the inner life, not tied solely to our experiences or our fluctuating emotions. Joy is rooted and grounded in the nature an indwelling presence of God in our life. And the fullness of joy comes when you know there is a sense of God's presence in your life, even in the midst of whatever circumstances you find yourself. It's that presence that underscores I'm accepted by God, I'm loved by God, I'm nurtured by God. Do you know today that you are loved by God? And that that's not just some theological statement, it is the real truth that underlies this whole possibility of having joy. Here are some words from an Old Testament king, David. From Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11, he concludes a psalm that we're going to look at in a little more detail later in the message. But in Psalm 16, 11, David said to the Lord, you Make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. David's statement in his life was, the presence of God is the source of joy. Now, all you need to know is a little bit about David's life to know that he went through terrible experiences of his own failures, which led to terrible consequences in his own life, can you imagine a worse circumstance than giving birth to a son and having your son want to kick you off the kingdom throne and kill you? That's the man who wrote that. In your presence, you think you have family issues. We all do. And David said, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. What joy is, is the settled internal disposition of the heart, understanding the presence of God in every circumstance and knowing that he loves us, nurtures us, and wants his best for our life. The other thing about what joy is, it is a gift of God. It's a gift from God to us. Galatians chapter 5 verse 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and what? Joy, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of a child of God is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, all these beautiful virtues which are not natural to us but are created by the presence of God generating the gift of his presence in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Joy is a gift. On a scale of one to ten, how's your joy today? Hmm? On a scale of 1 to 10, how's your joy? 
Um, Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why would you need strength? You need strength when things are hard. You need strength to go through the difficulties of life, and joy is that strength in the midst of that. But it's not happiness. It's not humor. It's not getting high. It is really something about the presence of God in our lives. So I ask you the third question. Where is joy grounded? And this takes us to our Christmas story, to our Christmas story. Mary wrote a beautiful song in Luke chapter 1, and that song goes like this. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit, anybody know it? Rejoices in God my Savior. Joy is grounded in the saving work of God. That's where joy comes from. I've been saved by God. Therefore, I understand joy. And if I understand that joy comes from his saving work, then I can sing with Mary. My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has done great things for me. I rejoice in the God of my Savior. Now, if you have your Bible, let's open together to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we capture the shepherds. Now, the shepherds are not the most noble status character in the Bible story. They're out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, and the angel of the Lord appears to them and tells them a story about joy, a word about joy and where it's grounded. So in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. Verse 9, should we all read it together? And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And in this verse you hear the angel saying, here's the grounding of joy. I'm giving you great news, great joy, and then for, here's the explanation of where that great joy comes from. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. See, joy is rooted in the saving work of God. And when you know you're saved, right? Can you think of a worse situation than to be um, having to be stand before God and not be sure that he loves you. But we know this. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet, anybody? Sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came into the world to be the savior of those who needed to be saved. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And you like to say, Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. All the world is lost in sin, and God set his son into the world to be the savior of the world, and that becomes the grounding by which I can stand before the God of all creation and say, I'm right with him. My sins are forgiven. I'm a child of God. I have received the righteousness of Christ. I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I'm one of his. I was blind. Now I can see. I was dead. Now I'm made alive. I was lost. 
lost, now I'm find, found. I was not a child of God, and now I am a child of God. And everybody said, Amen. you have to. You have to understand that the reason Jesus came into the world was to give his life to take people who were estranged from God and bring them back into relationship with God so that they could squarely, confidently say, I'm a child of the king of all creation. I belong with him. I am right with God. So that I might say, I'm sideways with my boss right now. I'm out of sorts with my wife. I am not getting along with my parents. You need to think about those things. Are you right with God? Are you right with God? He came into the world to be a savior, to save his people from their sins, and, and to give a whole new meaning to joy. It's no surprise then, if joy is rooted in the saving work of God, that when you come to the New Testament, you hear the explanation of what salvation is, and all through the explanation of salvation, the theme of joy is found. Let me show you one such. Turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me show you how salvation is tied to joy. To joy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again, to become a Christian, to become new, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading and kept in heaven for you. Can you hear those four words? Listen to the salvation you have from God through Jesus Christ is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it's kept for you in heaven. And you are kept by God's power guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. These are the treasures of what it means to be saved, that God has saved you and he has placed in heaven a, a, a final salvation from everything in this world achieved at the second advent of Christ, a salvation that will never diminish. It's perfectly pure. It will never fade. There's no uncertainty that that salvation will ever be lost. And everybody said, okay, that was less than last time, but you, I hope I'm not losing you. Listen, the salvation is God's work to do what we cannot do for ourselves, and it becomes the grounding of this is why I have joy, even if my happenings are not happy. In fact, that's what Peter continues. In the next verses, 6 and 7, he says, Verse 6 and 7, please. Thank you. It says, in this you greatly, what? Rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter acknowledges what all the Bible acknowledges. Just because you're in Jesus doesn't mean your life is going to be beautiful every day. Doesn't mean it's going to be, have great experiences all day long. A fire hose of blessing. You say, I want some of that. But Peter acknowledges that right now, in between the first and second coming, you may have days that you experience various trials. Even though I've told you that you have a salvation that's pure, undefiled, will not fade away. It's kept for you. That's true. But now you're going to have various trials. And what do you do in the midst of trials? You rejoice that you belong to him and you have a salvation. You see, the saving work of God is the grounding for all joy. And then finally, in verses 8 and 9, Peter concludes this section, though you have not seen him, and I could say that to you, you haven't seen Jesus. You haven't seen him. You love him, right? You haven't seen the Lord face to face here, but you love him, and you don't see him now. But you believe in him, do you? Yes. I can't see the Lord, but I believe in him. I believe in him with all my heart, and I rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, and I'm going to obtain the outcome of my salvation, the salvation of my soul. I know that. How do I know that? Because God gave his son in love for us. And he would send his son to be the savior of the world. It's, it's the joy of God given to me because I belong to him and his saving work produces that joy. When the angel said to the shepherds, I'm going to give you good news of a great joy. Unto you this day is born a savior. He's going to save his people from their sins and it's going to change everything. You see, this is the grounding that you can have joy even if things are hard. But we need to learn how to practice it. We know what it's not. We know what it is. We know where it's grounded. But how do you practice joy? How do you practice this experience of joy when things are going difficult and, and they're not beautiful as I wished they were? Habakkuk talks about a season when the fig tree doesn't blossom, there's no fruit on the vine, the yield of the olive fails, the fields produce no fruit, and the flock is cut off from the fold, and there's no cattle in the stalls. Woohoo! What's that? That's called recession. That's when things are terrible on the farm. And the next verse, this is what Habakkuk says. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Do you get it? That you're saved in Christ is the grounding of all joy. Now this is how you practice it. If you still have your Bible open, let's go back to that Psalm 16, and let's watch several signals that David gives where he could give the conclusion 
that he gives in verse 11, you have made known to me the path of life. You have made known to me the path of life. And I'm going to go to Psalm 16, and I'm going to show you a couple verses in Psalm 16. First, verse 11, let's, let's, let's read that again. You have made known to me the path of life, and in your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand there's pleasures forevermore. That's the conclusion of the verse. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2 is one of the steps that gets him to that conclusion. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. That is, in comparison to everything else in life, Lord, you are in the first place in my life. Have you ever come to say that to Jesus? Jesus, I give you first place in my life. Compared to everything else, you're the Lord, and I surrender to you. You can't have joy apart from that. You can have happiness, and you can get high, and you can laugh. But you cannot have the sustaining joy of the indwelling presence of God until you come to say to Jesus, I want you as my Savior. Save me from my sin. If you've never done that, it's, it's a simple profession and surrender of your life. Simple, profound, extensive, giving all of you to all of Jesus and saying, I want you to save me. The language of David is, I have no good besides Jesus. Besides the Lord, everything else is, is down the ladder of priority. The second cue I get from David on how he could have a life of joy with all of his travails in life is in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, As for all the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. What's he saying? I think he's saying the company you keep contributes to your joy or it erodes it. The New Testament statement is bad company corrupts good morals. But when you hang out with people that David describes here as the saints, the excellent ones, the ones who worship God and have a similar life commitment in their soul that I have no other good besides God, they're my delight. This is my point here. I don't think we can experience true joy apart from true relationships. Relationships catalyze joy. Otherwise, who do you share it with? Being with someone who is similar committed to the Lord is a beautiful idea, and it's there in the context of the family of God, of the church of God, of your life group, of your small group, of the class that you're in, of your men's group that you're in, that you experience a spurring on to that value I just stated that I have no other good except God. Everything else is nothing compared to the Lord in my life. And when you share that with the community of faith, it reinforces that joy happens in relationship. Would you agree with that? It does. And how easy is it to say when your relationship with someone special is sideways, that's no joy, right? 
That's what David's saying. As a result of that, I might just take a moment and say, so I want to encourage you to take a step in to relationship, whether it's coming to starting point today or joining a life group or going to base camp or becoming known where you can love and be loved in a group within the context of the church is a beautiful way to experience a deeper level of joy where we celebrate what is most important, the grounding of joy is our salvation in Christ. Third, another clue from David about the source of joy is verse 5 and 6, where he writes, the Lord is my portion and my cup, you hold my lot, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, indeed I have a beautiful inheritance. You have to know what David is saying with the phrase, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. It's a metaphor of receiving an inheritance where the lines of the property are mapped out and the lines go out and that's my inheritance, the parameters of what comes to me. In the metaphor, he's describing what happened in my life is pleasant. He said, wait a minute, not everything in your life was pleasant. No, it wasn't. But the Lord was in it, and the Lord used it. And I see this as contentment. And I think just as relationships catalyze joy, contentment helps catalyze joy. Hello, everybody. On the verge of consumerism, Christmas, contentment catalyzes joy, not stuff. Are you with me? Before you go shopping? And contentment is accelerated by gratitude. So gratitude leads to contentment, and I think contentment facilitates joy. Last. The last little statement is verses 8 and 9. It's a clue for how David can conclude the presence of God is joy in my life. Verse 8 and 9 says this. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. Ah, it's glad. And my whole being rejoices and my flesh dwells securely. Why? Because I set the Lord before me. I go out every day saying, Lord, you're before me. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ bes beside me, Christ in front of me. As I think that way, I, I, I say, okay, whatever happens today, I'm in step with Jesus. And therefore, I know nothing is going to touch me today that's outside of his will for my life. And I rejoice in God that even in this, he's with me. Do you all see that? It requires faith. You, we have to say to ourselves, Lord, I trust you to be here in this experience with me. And I believe that you are in that. Christ all around me. Now, lastly, um, this is how it's practiced. One more brief word about joy. Did you know that joy, though it is a gift... And it's grounded in what God has done is also something that's commanded of us that we should be. 
Um, one more verse for that. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. Maybe we should take a deep breath and say it out loud together. Ready? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. If you ever wondered what the will of God for your life is, here's three things that indisputably are God's will for you that we're commanded to do. Rejoice always. Is that hard? Yeah, that's a challenge. When things are difficult, that is a challenge. And maybe before you can rejoice, you have to pray and pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks. It doesn't say for everything. There are many difficult things that happen that I, I'm not thankful that people do terrible things to other people. But in there, is there a way I can see, Lord, I'm thankful that you saved me from doing that. By the grace of God, that, that could be me. And I'm thankful that you know about this and what terrible thing just happened in my life is known to you, and I thank you for that. That's a way to give thanks in all circumstances. And to rejoice is a hard call. Philippians chapter 4 says, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice, and it goes on and says, if you do that, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Peace is not commanded. Peace is the result of doing what's commanded Rejoicing. When Jesus came into the world at Christmas, the angels were on to something. They were on to saying that the, the great joy is rooted in the saving work of God. I call on you, be saved through Christ. And remember all that he has saved us from, and may God stir up in our hearts Joy unspeakable. You with me? Now, when you pass through the, this holiday season, my prayer for you is that your heart will be absolutely filled with joy, whether you're happy or not. Is that possible? It's possible if you set the Lord before you and say, Lord, I know you know this. I, I rejoice in you. Shout for joy. The Lord has come. He's the saving one the saving one. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that it is possible for us to experience joy when happenings are less than happy. And I pray that you'll train our souls to be the kind of people who see the Lord, see your hand, to know that you've come to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. I pray for anyone who is here today who's struggling with a sense of being lost in sinfulness, that you will just, by your Holy Spirit, move their heart to trust in the Lord in such a deep and transformational way that they will know with certainty the saving work of Jesus, and that this saving work of, of forgiving sins, which is why Jesus came will result in a deep-seated rejoicing, a joy unto the Lord. I thank you that you're the one who transforms our life by the saving work of God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.